Welcome to Cooper Talk, presented by Walk My Mind. Bring your body, bring your mind. This is Walk My Mind, a holistic approach to wellness that connects the dots of physical, mental, and emotional health. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. And uh, we, have, we have a great guest today, a man who's going to talk about his book, his career. And it's amazing because it's early for me to do an interview, 930 I'm in New Jersey, as you know, and he's in Phoenix at 6.30 a.m., and he's this guy must never sleep because he's up doing an interview this early. How do you do an interview this early? My guest is Todd Newton. How you doing, Todd? Brother, I am great, and uh, it is wonderful to talk to you. Big fan of your show, and uh, thank you for having me on. I, you know, like, I don't know. I, I think that uh, I started uh, really focusing on maximizing every hour of the day when, uh, when my first child was born. You know, I realized that uh, if I wanted to get my work out in, if I wanted to get some writing done, if I wanted to uh, just have a, a little bit of time for reflection, uh, I had to do it pretty early in the morning, and, and we formed those habits, and it uh, turned out to be productive, so I stuck with it. That's great. That's great. Well, you know, it's funny talking about habits. Um, I was reading about you where you started your career like when you were 16 on the radio, I believe. How did you get to that point? Like, what were you like as a kid? What was Todd Newton like as a kid? I, I tell you what, I loved the radio. Uh, I, I loved the theater of the mind. I loved the energy of, of the old personality DJs, you know, the Wolfman Jacks. Uh, I grew up in St. Louis, a guy named Jimmy Page, The Nighttime Rage, was a huge influence on me. Uh, Larry Lujak, you know, Casey Kasem, all of these guys that just really brought this incredible presence to the radio. And, and, and I always had my radio on. Couldn't have cared less about the music that was playing. But for some reason, these voices that came on in between the songs, I, I, I was so drawn to them. And I knew at a very early age, before I knew what a host was, before I knew what a personality was, before I knew what a DJ was, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be uh, that guy. And uh, I started spinning records in nightclubs, as you said, uh, as a high school student. And eventually that led to an internship at a top 40 radio station. And um, as you know, in, in the world of broadcasting and the world of entertainment in general, uh, a, a lot of times success comes to those that hang in there just a little bit longer than the other folks. And um, it turned out that uh, that I just happened to be there when one of the DJs couldn't show up for a shift. And um, the rest is is history. But uh, I'm a big believer in seizing opportunities when they come my way and and never, never uh, turning an opportunity down. I, I don't want to miss anything. I want to do it all. And, uh, you know, I have many tattoos, but one of them says, uh, I want to do it all. It's written in uh, Czech. I got it in the great city of Prague. And, and it's kind of a, a, a mantra that I've lived by my entire life. I got to ask you uh, about the tattoos because it's funny because um, I'm 53, 52 or 53. I, I, I always forget. Uh -huh. But when I was in college, like we had one girl, this beautiful girl had a tattoo on her ankle and nobody really had tattoos back then. When did you start getting your tattoos? I got my first uh, piece of ink right after my son was born. My son is 16 now. I got it at a uh, your your stereotypical tattoo dive shop in the great city of Atlantic City, not far from you. And uh, I, I guess, you know, I guess I felt if you're going to be a bear, be a grizzly, right? If you're going to get a tattoo, you might as well get it in a biker shop on the Atlantic City boardwalk. And, and uh, I, I just, I fell in love with, with the process. And, and at first I was a little apprehensive and a little guarded about my tattoos because, you know, look, I was a, a television host. I was a, a red carpet interviewer on E! I was a game show host. These aren't the guys that you think are going to have a lot of tattoos, but 
as uh, as time moved on and the entertainment industry became a little more um, a little more open minded, I guess, um, and the the art of tattooing became a little more advanced. You know, the ink that they use is deeper and richer. The color is more vibrant. The um, the equipment allows the artist to be more detailed in their shading and in their line work. Uh, the the pieces just looked a little a little hipper, a little nicer. And um, I started collecting tattoos uh, in my travels around the world, and I've got I've got great pieces from incredible artists all over the globe. And um, you know, some people collect T-shirts and shoes. I just uh, I collect art that uh, hopefully I'll, I'll have for a while if I can keep it from fading in the Arizona sun here. Right. See, that's that's what I like though, because you 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 have nice work. See, for me, I always I would never get a tattoo just because one, I'm afraid of needles, and two, for me, there's nothing really you know worth it to me. I mean, if I got my ex-wife's name on it, I'd only have to date people with her name my whole life. Right. You know? so, <laughs> right. Right. But for but for yeah. but I'm always I'm always in awe of when I see artwork and your artwork's very nice and it's it is it's like it's like a tapestry and it's a beautiful but what I hate is when I see like people have those really crappy tattoos like you know yeah. like they're not filled in and you're like why didn't you get it filled in I ran out of money I'm like well you should have had all the money when you win right. you know what I mean. Well, I think I, I think the secret is never get a tattoo on spring break. That's kind of uh, that's that's always been that's that's been my uh, that's been my rule of thumb when it comes to tattoo and body work. Never get it done on spring break. Never get it done after more than three beers. Right. You know, wait till the next day. So I want to. So so you were in St. Louis. You're on a radio, and now you visited L.A. I believe in like '94 or something. Or or how did your whole right. L.A. Can you visited to do like it was just like a promotional thing, right? It was, yeah, it was. I was uh, working for a top forty radio station, as I mentioned, in St. Louis, and um, one of the local television stations uh, was looking for a personality to fly out to Los Angeles and interview some sitcom stars. the uh, The station had just um, acquired the WB network. Uh, you know, some folks may remember that from the early '90s, and uh, there were some some new sitcoms coming to town, and and they wanted to do interviews with the stars to promote the shows. And uh, when they asked, I, of course, jumped on it. I was this Midwestern kid, never been to Hollywood before, certainly wanted to experience it. You know, I was putting on this image on the radio of this, uh, you know, this guy that was filled with swagger and razzle dazzle. So I thought I better put my money where my mouth is and and go see if I've got what it takes there. uh, So I flew to Los Angeles and uh, I stayed at the Universal Hilton right by uh, Universal City Walk in the Valley. And uh, the second day that I was there, after a night of just walking around and, and my mouth hanging open, taking in the sights, uh, taking a taxi to the Sunset Strip and seeing the whiskey and uh, you know, just, just being, being there and experiencing it, I looked out my hotel window and I saw that I was staying right next door to the uh, MTV offices. Uh, now they're out by the beach, but back then they were right there in the valley. So in, my, in, in the naivete of my youth i just walked across the street and asked the receptionist uh, who i would speak to about becoming a vj it seemed like the next <laughs> logical step uh, you go from being a dj to a vj on mtv back when they were still playing music videos and by uh, by some stroke of of mad genius luck she asked me to have a seat and a gentleman by the name of kurt sharp who is now over at nbc uh, came out about 10 minutes later took me in his office uh, we talked about my goals and what I had been doing, and he said, well, you really need some representation. I had no idea what that meant, but uh, Kurt, who apparently was having a very good day, picked up the phone and called three agents, 
And one of them said, I'm not taking new clients. Another one said, send this tape over. Well, I didn't have a tape to send. And the third one said, I just had a lunch, uh, lunch meeting canceled. Can he come over? So Kurt wrote down the address. I hopped in a cab with the little bit of money the TV station had given me for food and uh, went across Laurel Canyon and uh, met with an agent who signed me. And six months later, I was at E! Entertainment Television, where I was fortunate enough to spend 13 years and uh, really develop my on-camera style and my interviewing style. And uh, I, I know how fortunate I was. I know that that's a Hollywood story that doesn't really happen anymore. Um, and I'm grateful to so many people for that. There were a lot of folks that uh, that needed to be right where they were at that time to make that dream come true for me. But uh, that's my that's my history, and uh, I never never ever looked back. Now, how did they start to groom you when you you know because you were as you said a, a Midwest kid? Which first of all, you went by the name Rick Idol. Yeah. Did, did you make yeah, that up? I used, or... <laughs> uh, I used the name Rick Idol. I thought uh, if I was going to be on the radio, I needed to have a real cool uh, radio. You know, I need to have a radio moniker. You know, something that uh, that made me stand out from the Todd Newtons of the world. So. Uh, a Billy Idol song was on the radio as I was sitting in my program director's office, and I always liked the way Nikki Six from Motley Crue spelled his name with two Ks. So <laughs> at first we tried Ricky Idol, but then we thought that sounded, you know, almost too ridiculous. So we just went with your average dose of ridiculousness and just stuck with Rick Idol. <laughs> now, how did they start to groom you per se? Because as you said, you yeah. were you were a radio guy. And as you said, it was a whirlwind. I mean, you were walking around in Hollywood, and the next thing you know, and six months later, you're, you're on E. How did they start to groom you to be on camera, and was it something you felt very comfortable about? Because it is different talking on the radio, bringing songs on, to interviewing people. You know, that's a great question, Stephen. And, uh, and they did have some grooming to do, because not only was I a radio guy trying to uh, crossover to television, which, as you know, are two very different beasts. I was also, uh, you know, trying to break that Midwestern vibe that I had about me. Uh, you know, Midwesterners are very different than folks that live on the coast. You know, they they don't travel a whole lot. They're not exposed to nearly as as many different cultures and and styles and trends uh, as you know as fast and as furiously as as folks on the coasts are. So. Um, I had to adapt pretty quickly. And at the time, E! Entertainment Television only had four hosts and all programming was done in-house. You know, this was long before the Kardashians and, and, uh, and long before any of this outside programming came in. So at the time, it was just soup. Uh, Steve Kameko, who was our news anchor, and downtown Julie Brown, a former MTV host. Um, and E! really just threw me into the deep end of the pool. I mean, the first red carpet uh, arrivals I, I hosted was at the Academy Awards in 95, and I was there standing alongside the greatest of them all, Joan Rivers, you know, and, and I just kind of watched her and learned from her. You know, we would sit in rehearsals and run-throughs, and she would go through the script with her red Sharpie, uh, talking about things that would work and what wouldn't work. And we would talk about all the guests we were going to interview and she would say who she'd want to talk to and who she knew and had a relationship with and where the interview might go. So uh, I learned that with live television, you prepare a bit, but you also allow yourself to, to go on the fly. 
and um, I, to help with that, I studied improv at the Groundlings in Los Angeles for quite a few years, and uh, that really helped me stop and maximize the moment and appreciate what was happening around me at the time. So uh, E E did a great thing by just letting me go, and uh, they would let me fall on my face and pick myself back up, and there were never any negative consequences from that. It was always a thing of growth. And uh, I, I've actually incorporated that into my parenting. You know, I, I, I try not to hover too much over my kids. It's not always easy because I'm, you know, I'm, I, I'm extremely devoted to them and, and extremely protective. But I, I think that we learn the best through experience and through trial and error. And that's certainly uh, been the case for me professionally and, uh, and personally, I might add. Now, in those early days of E, did you ever feel yourself like frustrated and wondering what you wanted if you wanted to do something more than be a host because host is such a great job but sometimes it may get a little you might get a little tired i could think you know i mean it's something did you ever what was going through your mind because you're a young guy who as you said it was a hollywood story i mean it was you got you got a break and it happened quick what yeah. what, what did you start any implementing any long-term goals or were you just sitting there going i love this i'm learning i'm getting paid good to learn? I mean, what was your mindset back then? Yeah, well, uh, I, I, like I said, I was very fortunate e, because I was there for 13 years and my original deal was a four-year contract. And uh, when that was up, uh, they were kind enough to offer me another four-year contract. And shortly into that second deal, uh, I was offered an audition. Uh, I was doing a shoot over in Barcelona, Spain, and, and my agent called and said, listen, there's an audition uh, that I really love for you to do, if for nothing else, to meet the uh, to meet the producers of this project. And it was for a game show. And I had never thought about game shows. I, I for me, I, I mean, I, I grew up watching game shows, you know, the way other people did. You stay home from school, you watch The Price Is Right. That's kind of the way it goes. Um, but I, I did have a couple of days padded on the end of this Barcelona trip that she said, listen, pay what you got to pay to come back early because I, I, this would be a great thing. And, and obviously I trusted her. She was the one that was making all this happen for me. And I valued her, her word and her guidance. So I came back and I auditioned for a game show called Hollywood Showdown, which was on Game Show Network at the time, produced by Sandy Stewart, whose father uh, created The Price is Right and Password and To Tell the Truth and all of these other iconic game shows. Clearly, he was a master of the classics. And when I stepped foot on that audition, uh, they had a live audience. They had actors posing as contestants. I loved everything about it. I loved the live feel. I loved uh, the fact that I was sharing the stage with contestants uh, when they won great prizes. I love the fact that there was built-in drama and, and intrigue and suspense that didn't have to be scripted or crafted. And I was fortunate enough to get that uh, that job. And, and I certainly don't want my story to sound like one that uh, the story of a man who's gotten every audition that I ever went out for, because that has that is far from the case. But when I got the, the Hollywood Showdown job, and, and we did three seasons of that, and it ran for many years later on uh, the old TV Guide channel. But when I got that job, I really felt at home. I mean, I, I wasn't tired of what I was doing at E by any means. And they were kind enough to let me do both. So I was really hustling there for a while. 
but eventually game shows took over my life and um, and you know they're still a part of my life today i'm currently hosting the touring version of the price is right stage show uh we do about 100 125 shows a year uh, i just finished um a, a game show called monopoly millionaires club uh late last year we did um, close to 50 episodes of that and, and had uh, countless million dollar winners. It, it's just, I, I love it. I love everything about game shows. I love the schedule. I love the fact that you do five shows in a day. Uh, I love the fact that you can do your whole season in a few weeks and have the rest of, of your year to either spend with your family or travel or work on other projects. So, um, E, you know, E kept me busy enough where I never got bored, but they also let me spread my wings a little bit. And that kept me engaged, very, very engaged for a long time. Now, the game shows, it's funny because, you know, you said the five shows uh, in a day, which is it's a crazy schedule because Gary Kroger was on. And he said, you know, if you were fighting a little bit of a cold, it was like a little bit of whiskey or lemon to keep your voice going. You know, when when you took on this this game show, you know, because you think about it, you know, what do we do? If we watch a game show, we sit there, we watch it, and people never think of what actually goes into the process. I think people just think, because you know how Hollywood is, people who aren't in the town, who have never been in the town, think that, you know, a game show, I think they just think people show up at the same time every day, and they play a game. Now, for you, what is it like to stay, I mean, you loved it, but five shows in a day... That's monotonous. It's like it's like I used to do stand up comedy, and you know when you'd have three shows in a night, you know by the third one you're thinking, did I say that joke? Did I do you know right, earlier? Right. Yeah. What, how do you get yourself trained? Like how long did it take you to get acclimated to that? In, it's an intense schedule. Well, now listen, I uh, and you can relate to this. You know, I, I'm in show business. I don't like working eight hour days you know we didn't get into show business to work full days you know what i mean we got into show business to get as much applause make as much money and meet as many women as we can in the shortest amount of time if we're all being honest that's why we did it but uh game shows uh you know i we did five shows in a day and usually it was it was uh, three before lunch and then two after um, and it was a grind. And every now and then you would feel a little tired. And, and I, you mentioned Gary Kroger. You know, Gary and I, I did 150 episodes of Whammy, the all new Press Your Luck together. We're working together now on uh, some wonderful speaking engagements. I love that guy. And uh, and I learned a lot from him because you want to talk about a show business veteran, man. He's got a resume. But Gary, uh, Gary and I fed off of each other. You know, we had a lot of great banter back and forth. And you develop rhythms when you do these shows. Um, you you know you make sure you get a good night's sleep the night before. You don't go out late. You're not out drinking, running around. Uh, you come you come to the game ready. You got your A game with you, and um, you, you have to you have to be completely focused. You have to know the game better than anyone else. And I'm fortunate in the fact that I was mentored by Bob Barker, who, in my opinion, is the best that there ever will be at hosting game shows. And Bob, you know, gave me some some wonderful tips throughout my career. And and the most valuable of those was uh, realizing that although you get to do this every day and multiple times per day for the contestant, this is a once in a lifetime experience. So he advised me to play the game through the eyes of the contestant, much in the way that you uh, when you have kids, you view Christmas through their eyes and birthdays. And all of a sudden, these holidays are really cool again and they're really special again. So I, I did that, and, and I, you know, every time I, I, I'm with a contestant, even now, you know, instead of just saying, okay, this is Betty, and she's going to play for a trip to Las Vegas, 
let's play. Instead of doing that, I approach it more from a, a personal standpoint. I, I ask her a couple questions. I get to know Betty. And all of a sudden, she's no longer Betty who's playing for a trip to Vegas. She's Betty who just retired from the postal, uh, from being a postal carrier in Wyoming for, where she worked for 45 years. She's never been on an airplane She's going to play for her first vacation ever. Let's go. Now the audience is invested. I'm invested. Uh, you know, and, and it's just magical. I just really believe that game shows are the only real reality television out there. And uh, that's what keeps me going. That's the fire that I keep lit underneath me. And uh, I want each show to be special. And I forget that people are even watching. I get caught up in the moment and... That's what reminds me day after day, show after show, that, that I'm doing what I was meant to be doing. Now, how did you get mentored by Bob Barker? Because to me, that's like getting mentored, as you said, by the king. Like, who, who doesn't yeah. know who Bob Barker yeah. is? I mean, all of us grew up watching yeah. him, and we've all, you know, and people's kids have watched up, and then he shows up in an Adam Sandler movie and all this. And how did you end <laughs> up getting mentored by him? I and mean, how did you meet him? Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, a basketball player, uh, you know, a high school basketball player getting schooled on free throw shooting from Michael Jordan. You know, it's I was uh, hosting the, the show Whammy, the new pressure luck produced by Fremantle Media, who also produced uh, still produces The Price is Right and Family Feud and Let's Make a Deal and all these great shows. And um, I just, uh, you know, I, I knew that I wanted to be the best game show host I, I could be as, as I mentioned I knew that I was in the right place when I did that first game show so I wanted to I wanted to, to really excel I wanted to be around for a while I didn't want to you know this wasn't just going to be a stepping stone to something else for me and uh, I, I asked the producer if there's any way they could get me into a taping of the prices right just so I could watch Bob and uh, they got me into one and and I watched Bob not not only while he was working, but also during the commercial breaks and how he interacted with contestants when the cameras weren't rolling and and uh, how he just knew where all of his marks were on the stage floor. And he just, you know, had every every camera shot down. He always knew what was coming next. And I loved that. And so I would go back time and time again. Eventually there for a while, I was going to two or three tapings a week. And soon, you know, he started inviting me backstage to talk about my career and, and what I wanted to do, just being very kind at first. And then we established a connection. You know, Bob Bob is a big fan of St. Louis. He loves the St. Louis Cardinals. He was stationed at Fort Leonard Wood just outside of St. Louis. He and his uh, late wife, Dorothy Joe, got married at Union Station in St. Louis. So we had that connection. And I think he recognized my passion for game shows. And eventually we went from just shooting the breeze in his dressing room to going out on stage and walking through these games. And when the uh, Price is Right stage show originated almost 16 years ago, it was just supposed to be a few nights at a little casino in Reno, Nevada. And Bob uh, isn't a huge fan of casinos, not a big fan of gambling, not a big fan of being around smoke and a lot of people who are drinking. So uh, he told the producers, he's like, well, why don't you put this kid in there? You know, and by kid, I, yeah, I was 31, 32 at the time. He said, put this kid in there. He knows the games. I taught him the games. And, uh, you know, I think he'll do a decent job. <laughs> Let, let's let's throw him a little bone here. So uh, they threw me into Reno for, for a few days, and uh, we kept getting extended and moved around. And, you know, thankfully the show's going on its 16th year, and uh, I leave next week to do the show up in Canada. I just, you know, so again, another – Another person who went out of their way to show a little, 
um, you know, a little kindness and a little professional generosity. And that's why I try to do the same thing to, to younger hosts. I just think it really pays off in, in spades down the road. So uh, that that's how I do it. And that's that's how I came in contact with Bob. And, you know, I'm really honored to call him a friend and a mentor. I truly am. Now, I want to hear more about the show when, you know, it's interactive, as you said, it's live. And so do people, they buy tickets. I mean, and prices right here, people show up and they get on there and they go crazy. When, what do people expect when they come into the show? Is it just like the TV show or is it, is, is it more interactive or, or what's the difference? Yeah, it's, uh, well, I, I tell people that the, the, the similarities are, are countless. The differences are few, but they're, they're important. You know, we're produced by the same people that produce the TV show. So authenticity is key. The music is the same. The lighting is the same. The set pieces are created by the same people that create the set pieces for the TV show. And, uh, you know, we're all game show fans first on that show and employees second. So we want people to walk away feeling as if they've had the true prices Right experience. And uh, everybody buys a ticket and you register to become a contestant. And all contestants are chosen completely at random so that everyone has an equal shot to get up there and play the games that they've loved on television for over 40 years, Plinko and Cliffhanger and Hole in One. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it really is a magical experience for a true Price is Right fan. And um, we've made a lot of people very happy, thankfully, and met a lot of fellow game show fans along the way. So it's been pretty incredible. And uh, it's, Probably, if I'm being honest, it's the it's the the gig that I've enjoyed the most throughout my career. So I'm I'm grateful that it's the one that's lasted the longest. Now, how do you sit there and and you you have to fill the steps of Bob Barker? Do people understand that you know you have your own style, and do you try to you know do you try to somewhat be a lot like Bob, or do you bring your own your own style to it? A, a little bit, uh, you know. I, I think. Um, you know, when, when people come to the show, they're thinking, okay, am I going to see the Bob version? Am I going to see the Drew Carey version? And I come out and, and right away, uh, you know, I'm, I'm paying tribute to Bob. And we have clips throughout the show, you know, greatest moments that we use as, as fillers when set pieces are being moved around backstage and such. But, uh, you know, they, within, within two minutes of, of me taking the stage, they know that I have nothing but a great respect for Bob and, and they know that I'm not there to imitate him or to try and replace him. And they know that I'm a fan and, uh, of the show. And, and I think that they, uh, it, it kind of allows them to sit back and relax and just let them be a part of, of the overall experience. You know, we're, we're not trying to bamboozle anybody. Uh, we're all there for the same reason because we love the prices, right? And we're going to play those games and I know how to play them and you know how to play them. And we're going to go through this together. And hopefully you're going to walk out here with a new car or with a trip to New York City or or something along those. And once we establish that rapport, you know, as, as you do from the world of stand-up, it's all about that connecting, uh, that instant connection that you have to have with the audience right away. Because, uh, you know, you, you can't connect 10 minutes into a set or 15 minutes into a live show. It's too late, too little, too late. And, uh, and by... You know, by presenting myself as a fan first, I'm not here to be a star. I don't care about getting rich or famous. You know, I just want to play your favorite game show and my favorite game show. And people uh, people dig that. So they, they immediately feel comfortable and uh, we're off to the races right away. Now, now, do you feel a difference between audiences 
for when you do the game show on TV and when you do this show live? Is there a difference in the energy and the attitude, or are the audiences all pretty much the same? Well, without question, there's a difference. I mean, the, the Price is Right stage show audiences are just incredible. There, there was a review of our show a couple of years ago down in Florida, and the reviewer, uh, the woman from the newspaper, said that we were a part rock concert, part old-time Baptist revival sprinkled with some game show magic. And I just, I love that. I, I mean, it is, it's screaming from the, from the get-go. As soon as those lights go down to the moment they come back up, it's just an unparalleled energy, and it comes from the fact that The Price is Right has been a part of our day-to-day -day routines for decades. You know, my grandma introduced me to The Price is Right. I watched it in college. I watch it now with my kids. It means so much to so many people. So when that curtain opens and the audience sees the big wheel for the first time, um, you can't you can't stage that kind of reaction, that kind of pop, and. Um, it, it's it's just fantastic. It, it, everyone is engaged and everyone is on stage. Even if they don't get called up, they're still cheering for the person that did. And I think that's beautiful. I think that's uh, I think that says a lot about the people that come to see our and uh, and people for the stage show. Whereas with a television audience, you might have two hundred people. So yeah, there's there's a there's a huge difference and. Not only the volume, but the overall electricity that you feel. Now you're doing this. You're doing your. You know, you have the uh, this good career and everything. Now in 2012, you decide to come out with a book. You, now, how do you? How does? How did you come about doing the book? Your first book, and what made you decide to do it? Well, my first book is called Life in the Bonus Round, and uh, I'm, I'm actually revising that because I've I've grown as a human being. You know, over the last three or four years and. Uh, five years, and, um, and and I've remembered things, and, and, and I'm a bit uh, a, a bad writer, uh, and I, I you know I want that uh, book to be the best that it can be. But I started writing uh, during my travels as a, as a way of jotting down things that I wanted to share with my kids that perhaps at the time they were too young to understand or appreciate. So I wanted to have these things for them. And then I started recalling all the people that have helped me and influenced me and coached me and trained me and the things that I've learned from those people. And uh, those those memories became stories. And uh, the stories were fun to write, fun to recall. And they were very colorful. And, and, uh, and, and, and some of them were quite funny. Others were rather deep and emotional for me. But uh, it, 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 they took on a book form. And I, I thought that, well, you know, in, in today's world, thanks to technology, I can self-publish this book and I can own it outright and I can sell it at speaking engagements and at the Price is Right show and not have to give anybody any of the money that, uh, that is stemming from my own experiences. And the process was just really um, comfortable for me and, and fulfilling for me. So Life in the Bonus Round came out, and game show fans seemed to really like it. Um, so I followed that up with another book. And then uh, in, in 2015, I released uh, The Host with the Most, Tales of a Tattooed Television Personality, which kind of uh, continued where Life in the Bonus Round led, left off. And, you know, hopefully I'll continue to live a life that is uh, book-worthy. And that I'll, you know, I'll still have the, 
the wherewithal to be able to jot down all of these thoughts and words. And, um, you know, the books will be the receipt that I was here. You know, when I'm long gone, um, these books will live on and, um, and hopefully other people find inspiration from them that, uh, you know, life's not always uh, the, the smooth path that, that we fantasize about it being. You know, there are bumps along the way and, and hills and twists and turns and unexpected curveballs. But uh, overall, it's a beautiful thing. You know, none of us ever really fail. Things may not work out the way that we uh, hoped that they would or things may not be as simple as we hoped they might be. But if we really just stop and take a look at our lives, man, pretty, you know, everything's pretty damn good. Life is pretty, pretty beautiful. And um, you got your family, you got your, uh, I read an article that said, if you've got a roof over your head and you can afford Netflix, you're living the good life. And I thought, <laughs> you know what, that's, that's all right. I mean, when you travel to places where people have to walk three miles just to get clean water, um, it really puts things in perspective and lets you know that, uh, that life ain't bad. Oh, yeah, we always do that. You know, the other day I, I said, you know, I, I was irritated because my internet went out for 10 minutes. And then you put on, you know, Puerto Rico's about to get right. disaster. They're right. not going to have power for four to six months. And you sit there and you go, God, I'm really a jerk. You know, <laughs> complaining about right. uh, this. Yeah, yeah. It, it puts it in perspective, but we need that. Now, did you ever think when you were writing your, your autobiographies that, you know, it's, it's your baby, it's your life. Were you ever worried if what if people don't like it? I mean, because that must go through a writer's mind when it is your life and it's the closest thing to you is our own life. Yeah. Um, no, you know, I, I never really uh, I never really gave much stock to uh, people not liking it. I, I did want it to be uh, well received. I, I wanted, you know, I just wanted people to read it. Uh, what, whatever you get from it is is kind of on you, you know. And, and look, I've read books that. Um, that once I closed it, I never gave it another thought. But I've also read books where, you know, I I couldn't wait to dive back into it again a few months later and hope that that I missed something the first time. So, you know, everything is hit or miss. You're never going to please everybody, and, and you're never going to be everyone's favorite. But uh, I, I think that you know your first priority needs to be to yourself. Your second priority needs to be to your family. Um, if you're not the best version of yourself, you won't be any good to anyone else, and that's why I put things in that order. But um, after you know, after you feel good about who you are, and after uh, you can sit down with your family and, and just uh, you know know that that love is all around you, everything else is pretty much icing on the cake for me. Um, you know, I, I there there. Are, are big gigs that I've auditioned for that, that went to someone else. And there are, um, you know, the, there are certainly hosts out there that, that have more cars or a bigger house than I do. But listen, my, um, you know, my, my kids are great. I'm, I'm, you know, getting ready to take one to school right now. He's a sophomore and a wrestler and the funniest kid I know. And I've got a little girl whose smile just lights up my world every time I see her. And, uh, I've got a three-year-old niece who, uh, to me, is is just you know the epitome of what the future holds, and and uh, that that's really all I need, man. I'm 47 years old, and and I've lived a hell of a life, and every day is 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 awesome, and I get to talk to people like you, and technology allows guys like us to broadcast to the world. And when I started my career, you know, I was lucky if if a couple hundred people were listening, I was doing overnights and the only person that ever called the radio station was a guy that worked at a seven 11, you know, and now <laughs> we can, uh, we can do an interview like this and have a conversation and post it to the world. So, uh, I've got no complaints, man. I'm rolling with it and loving it. 
Now, what is the book, The Choice is Yours? The Choice is Yours is the book version of the keynote presentation that I give to corporations and universities uh, throughout America. I just did a wonderful presentation yesterday uh, here in the Scottsdale, Arizona area to a bunch of female entrepreneurs. And uh, it's the six keys to putting your best into action, the keys that have worked for me and that I hope will work for others. And, um, and it's, it's a nice takeaway from the, from the presentation. And, um, you know, I've gotten a lot of great feedback on that. And, uh, um, Gary Kroger and I are giving a lot of, a lot of presentations together on that. And, um, that's a, that's a side of my career that I really enjoy. It's, uh, it's not priority one, but it's a, always a special event when I get to do it. Now, how did you get into the corporate world and that speaking world? Yeah, I, I got into that when I was at E Entertainment Television. You know, E was always putting the hosts in front of um, in front of affiliate meetings and and uh, visiting advertisers and things of that nature. Um, and uh, you know that that's how the choice is yours kind of kind of became came to be because. Uh, you know, when, when someone says you got to go out there and fill 20 minutes, you better have something. <laughs> you better have something to give them. So I just started talking about my career much like I've been talking to you. And uh, and it, uh, it it took on a life of its own. And I'm glad that people take something away from it. And I'm, I'm always happy to share and always happy to be shared with. It's a very interactive keynote presentation. And uh, I get as much from it as the audience does, I think. Now, how did you end up in Arizona? Were you, were you in L.A. for many years? I know a lot of people have I was, been leaving. Yeah, I was in, I was in L.A. For, uh, for 20 years. Uh, and then we moved to the Boston area. And I just didn't care for it. I, I didn't feel at home in Boston. I didn't care for the weather in Boston. Uh, so, uh, you know, we came back to, uh, to the West Coast so I could be a little closer to L.A. and, and Vegas where I do the, the majority of my live stuff. And um, I thought, you know what, Scottsdale is far enough west. Uh, I can be wherever I need to be in about 45 minutes on a plane. Uh, so let's let's just stay here. I, I like the desert. I love the natural landscape and the wonder and the the beauty of this area. And, and I love the people. You know, everybody here is is happy and healthy because everyone is here by choice. This isn't one of those places where people are forced to relocate to for work, you know, or where they, you know, have to battle, you know, five months of, of crappy weather. And it's just, you know, it's sunny every day and, um, and, and the most beautiful sunsets I've ever seen. And uh, I dig it. Yeah. So, so Scottsdale is home for me and uh, will be for the foreseeable future. I think I've got a couple of kids that are crazy about ASU. So that, <laughs> I have a feeling I'll be here for a while. Now, you know, you're in the real estate business now, too. How did that happen? Yeah, I, I partnered with a company called The Agency. The Agency is founded by Mauricio Umansky from uh, many people know him from Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. And uh, The Agency is a luxury real, residential real estate company that um, that was founded by a couple of guys that don't come from the world of real estate, just wanted to do real estate differently. Um, and I'm all for that. I've always been a real estate investor. Uh, so now I deal with the celebrity clientele here in Arizona, athletes, and actors and artists uh, from all walks of life who are purchasing either a second home or relocating uh, altogether to Arizona. And uh, the agency is just really the epitome of of modern day branding and 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 stepping out of the box and doing things differently. So I, I enjoy that. I love that a lot. I get to meet with some great, meet some great people and uh, associate myself with some real hustlers. Now you also, you, you also do a podcast, I believe. 
I do a podcast, yeah, a couple times a week, every Tuesday and Thursday. It drops on iTunes. It's called Talk is Cheap. And we're a 15-minute podcast, uh, just trying to keep the art of conversation and storytelling alive. And I, uh, you know, I, I scan the internet for interesting topics, and hopefully, I give people things that uh, they can take to work with them or share later, and just kind of, you know, as I said, keep that art of conversation going, man. I think it's the most beautiful thing in the world when we can converse and associate with other people and uh, and integrate ourselves into 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 fascinating topics, and uh, that's the whole concept of that podcast and i enjoy doing it you know it keeps those radio those radio uh, vibes alive in my soul now you, you have so much going on man and now you're, you're also uh you're going into playwriting you're writing a one-man show yeah i, I there's I, well I, I wrote a play several years ago uh, that we produced at very small theaters in very small cities it was called first and last month and, and man i really liked that it was it was a real challenge for me uh and something that i studied and uh, I kind of see a one-man play in my future. I'm not. I, I'm not grinding away at it as I do with other topics. Uh, I'm doing it very recreationally, and I'm letting it take on a life of its own. It's going to be a very organic, uh, autobiographical one-man play. But I was uh, really. I, I, I saw Chaz Palminteri do his one-man play of uh, a Bronx Tale a couple of years ago, and I thought, my God, that's just just up there telling your life story. That's cool. But it's, you know, it takes some work because, uh, as I said, I studied improv, but I never I never did what you did. I never did stand up. So, you know, I've got a couple writer buddies helping me with the formatics of it, and with the flow. And and when that baby's ready to launch, I'll uh, I'll do it. in Some of the smaller theaters that uh, that I've been introduced to over the years with the prices right live. And uh, I'm excited for that. But I I see that being two or three years down the road for me. OK, well, I know you have to go going soon, but I got a question for you. As a person yeah. who's been involved with E, and, and back then there wasn't such a huge social media impact, how have you seen it you know, affect the business? Because you were in the trenches of the red carpet before you know, people could yeah. tweet and tweet and tweet. How do you think it's changed and you think it's been a good change for someone who has seen it and has interacted with a lot of stars? You know, man, great final question, boy. That's a good one. I, when I my first red carpet, and I kid you not, Steve, there were six outlets on the red carpet. It was us. It was ABC. It was it was um, uh, Access Hollywood Extra. It was all of the, you know. It was it was the majors, and um, and you know every star would sit. And talk to us for, you know, 10 minutes. Um, and then when I got nominated for my first Emmy, years after I was done with E, uh, I went to the daytime Emmys and all of a sudden, every blogger, every podcaster, <laughs> the red carpet was just lined with hundreds of people. And nobody was getting the key interviews anymore. You know, everybody was... Um, you know, getting short one or two word answers, and then the the uh, the guest would have to just move on. So in that respect, it's changed considerably, and I don't think for the better. You know, I think if you're going to do a red carpet, the whole concept is to get a, a meaningful interview with someone that you're very interested in, and I don't think that that's really possible anymore. Uh, too many outlets, too many avenues for that kind of thing, but uh, I, I'm grateful that I was there during the heyday of it, and I'm grateful that um, I was there and doing it for E because E truly was the pioneer of the red carpet. And, um, 
you know, some of those shows we did, you know, they'll never be duplicated, especially, you know, being able to do it alongside Joan Rivers and watch her mastery um, and learn from that. So, you know, the, the great thing about my career is that I've been taught by the very, very best, you know, the true legends, the classics. And um, I, I hope that when people look at my style, they, uh, they see a bit of that. Well, I, I want to thank my you. My game show hosting. I hope they see some Bob Barker. Well, I want to thank you for taking your time uh, early in the morning. Now, do you, are you a Twitter guy? Do you tweet? I do tweet. I'm more of an Instagram guy, at Todd Newton. Instagram is where I'm focusing my energies on now. Okay, well, and also your website is Todd Newton Online. They can figure out everything. They can buy merch there. They can figure your schedule out there, right? That's it, man. That's it. Thank you so much, Steve. I've really enjoyed this. I appreciate your time and for having me on. Well, I want to thank you, Todd. So people follow Todd Newton. Follow me on Twitter. It's at Cooper Talk. It's at Cooper Talk. Go to my website, coopertalk.net. Over 645 episodes. And my other website, stopthesalt.com. When I had that health problem, I cooked a cook. I wrote a cookbook. Easy recipes. No hassle. Go to stopthesalt.com. I'm Steve Cooper for Welcome My Mind. You guys have a great day.